Um, so, um, as Jill said, I, my name's Ali. I'm the site pastor along with Jill here in Stonehaven. And um, we're between series at the moment. We just finished Ephesians, and uh, we're restarting uh, the Gospel of Mark in a couple of weeks' time, maybe even next week, um, as we uh, journey or make our way towards Easter, following the story of Jesus. Um, but as we're coming up to Easter, which is on the 21st of uh, April, it felt that it was a, the right time that we would actually talk today specifically about baptism. Because our heart on Easter Sunday is to see many people in this congregation be baptized. And um, today we're unpacking what that means, what baptism means. And if you've never been baptized, then it will give you an opportunity to make that informed decision. But what I want to say as well is if you've been baptized, then uh, to listen in today and just have a bit of extra grace to listen in and also to maybe be praying for others who you know who haven't been baptized just praying for that but also to be remembering that moment remembering that moment that when you were baptized what did God say to you what things did he put on your heart what did he reveal to you because I know that when I was baptized 10 years ago God said a lot of things to me that then I'm looking back now I'm like Okay, he said that to me. Now, has that come true in my life? Or is that something I still need to work towards? Or is that still where I feel I am? And just to be continually having that dialogue with God this morning of about that baptism. So we're in the book of Acts today. And uh, to give some background, it's the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit has just poured out um, on the disciples an incredibly intense experience with tongues of fire, other things like that, which we don't have time to go into. And then it spills out onto the street, uh, which understandably draws a crowd. And Peter, uh, the disciple Peter, then starts to explain what's happened. And he's uh, in the book of Acts, in in Acts 2, he's just doing the speech, he's just addressing the crowd. And the first thing he says when he addresses the crowd is like, these people aren't drunk, it's nine in the morning, which is a great way to start a speech of any kind, isn't it? Um, But we're going to get in at the end of this talk, which is uh, in verse 32, which I'll just read out here. And it will appear on screen behind me says this, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. As you know, we've just adopted our new name of Catalyst Vineyard Church. And a catalyst is an element that speeds up our reaction. It's an agent of change. And we want to be changed, as we know for many of us, that Jesus has changed us for a different life and for a different world. 
And what better way to celebrate that change, if you haven't already, to be baptized? And there's three moments, I think, in life where uh, if you invite someone you know to church, they're probably going to come. Like, on the majority of most people will come to these things. Christmas, they'll come to Christmas, they'll come to Easter, potentially, and they'll come to your baptism. So imagine if two of those, it's like two in one, if two of those landed on the same day, that would be pretty hard to refuse to come along to, wouldn't it, if it was Easter and your baptism. So on Easter Sunday, we want to be baptizing people in Stonehaven. Uh, we might do the pool. We might do the beach. If you sign up first, you could probably have an influence of whether we're in the pool or the beach. You could maybe make that decision. Uh, and then people might thank you later or not, as the case may be, if you decide the beach. Um, but we want to pack out this service here. Loads of people sharing their stories, inviting their friends and family. We all love a good news story in this day and age. We need a good news story constantly, don't we? And um, who could you invite along to hear, to share that? But also, if you know that you haven't been baptized, and this is the opportunity today to think about that, to pray about that, and um, to take that time to look at what is baptism. Uh, one of my heroes uh, in life for his football ability, rather than his uh, commentary on life, is David Beckham. And his commentary on life is that he said, uh, we're definitely going to get Brooklyn christened but I'm not sure into which religion yet. Stick to the football, David. Stick to the football. Um, but there's confusion around baptism of what that looks like and what that can be seen as quite a weird ritual sometimes of dunking someone under the water and then you hope they bring them back up. But if they don't bring them back up, you're like, well, that's maybe considered bullying, isn't it? Um, but what does the New Testament say about baptism? That's what we want to talk about today. What does the New Testament say about baptism? And um, most ancient cultures had concept of ritual cleansing. So many cultures, the bridegroom, before they were married, they would bathe before the marriage, and there would also be ceremonial washing of hands before meals. That would be like a normal thing, that cleansing, that ritual. And the Christian sacrament of baptism um, almost certainly finds its origins in uh, New Old Testament law of Jewish washing. So two examples very quickly for you. Exodus 29, uh, Aaron and his sons uh, they were the high priests. They were brought to the temple, the new completed tabernacle, and they washed. That was what they did. They washed. It was a cleansing ritual. In Leviticus 14, there was people who were healed of skin diseases. Uh, they washed their clothes. They shaved their hair. They bathed in water to cleanse. It was a ritual. It was that cleansing. And outside of the Bible, actually, archaeologists have unearthed from one community this purpose-built uh, ritual baths for immersing people seems that across uh, culture in this time that there was that element of being cleansed of something that looks like. But the first record of people being baptized in the way that we would understand it would be John the Baptist. Uh, we see in the start of Mark, Mark 1, verse 4, John appears in the wilderness. He's uh, got a big, great, big bushy beard. He's got, you know, the camel... Camel hair, the locust, like, you know, looking like he's in the wilderness properly. He's preaching this baptism of repentance. He's preaching this baptism of forgiveness of sins. And the whole of the countryside of Jerusalem came to the wilderness. They confessed their sins and they were baptized. John was saying, you need to get yourselves right with God. Repent of your sins and be forgiven. And the context was baptism was that way of being cleaned. And the feature of baptism in the New Testament is that it's an outward symbol of what has happened on the inside. God has made me clean, therefore I get baptized to show that as a symbol of what has happened on the inside. 
And um, also important to mention that the New Testament baptism always involves a lot of water. So John 3, John the Baptist is baptizing people at the River Jordan. He chooses a specific uh, part of it so it's deep enough. You don't need a sprinkle to be deep enough, do you? Uh, Jesus says, when he was baptized, it says he came up out of the water. When Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, when he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, it says they both went into the water and then came back up. And um, there's no kind of reference in the Bible for a small sprinkle of water. It's this full body immersion. And the Greek word for baptism, baptizio, which if you want to impress someone when you're going for lunch, just say, ah, the Greek word for baptism in Greek is baptizio. It's not that impressive, is it? But, you know, you can impress someone if you want to do. That is symbolized as like the sinking of a ship or the dipping of a cup into a bowl or um, putting, soaking a cloth in a vat of dye. And other words that would be similar in English would be drench, dunk, dip, duck, deluge, that's all the Ds, and all the Ss are soak, sink, swamp, steep, or saturate. Baptism is a full immersion, an outward symbol of that inward reality of what Jesus has done. But what does baptism mean? What does baptism actually mean? So firstly, there's three Bs here, you'll be pleased to hear. Baptism means a bath. I remember when I was in uh, S2 at school, uh, the day that most of us dreaded uh, when we were having PE, when we were having games, uh, was when you weren't allowed to play rugby, but instead you had to do cross-country running. Who remembers the cross-country run? Does anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Did anyone enjoy it? Anyone? Oh, okay. A couple. Well done. Well done, guys. Um, so it was always like a cold November day. It was almost like the elements were always waiting for when the cross-country run was. It's like, right, we're going to snow exactly when they're running. And um, I just tried, I mean, my, my technique for getting through it was like, I'm going to run as fast as I can to get through it. So I could just get it over and done with, which is fine. But then what happened was I managed to do better than I hoped. Uh, and I got into the top five, the top five in my year, which is, which is pretty good, wasn't it? Um, and what I didn't realize is when you got into the top five, then you got entered into the national championships for the cross-country run. So here was me thinking, oh, I'll just get through it. And then suddenly I'm representing my school at the cross-country run. And there was lots of people that um, I wasn't playing rugby at the time, but they were. So they couldn't go. So then I was on this bus from Aberdeen to Irvine to run this cross-country run. And it was a horrible day. It was absolutely dreadful. And um it was just a, a mud bath. Everyone by the end was caked in mud. And I would like to say that out of about 300 S2 boys, I came 102nd in the, in the nation, in Scotland for that year. I was quite impressed with that, yeah. Yeah, my coach wasn't. My coach was absolutely so annoyed with all of us because I don't think anyone else did particularly well. He was hoping for maybe a high medal finish or something that he decided that the, the bus would leave straight away. So we finish, we're caked in mud, and then he says, right, we're on the bus straight away. Don't bother changing. Don't bother getting a shower. Just go. So we're like, oh, right. So sitting on this bus for three and a half, almost four hours on the way back, we were like, I was just plastered. I was like a mud mummy. I was just plastered with mud. And I remember coming back in, coming to the bath, and then jumping in the bath. And it was like a, an original bath bomb. We're just like... <laughs> And just the mud went everywhere. Suddenly I'd created a Jackson Pollock painting on my bathroom wall. Um, I just remember having that moment of like going into that hot water and realizing even as a young boy that any sort of mud, any kind of 
uncleanness on the outside, a bath can do a good job of cleaning me. I was completely cleaned by the end of it. But I know, and I know now, that there was dirt and darkness on the inside that a good bath couldn't clean. And what we know as Christians is that Jesus alone can wash the inside. The early church people, they were coming and they were saying, yes, Lord, clean me. God alone can cleanse the heart. And in baptism we say, he has made me clean and he will make me clean. Baptism means a bath. It also means a burial. Um, it was a cleansing ritual baptism, but also it was a symbolic act of like a grave. When people were baptized, they were almost enacting the burial of their old lives and aligning themselves with the death of Christ. We see that in Colossians 2, where it says, you were buried with Christ in baptism in which you were also raised with him. So it's like when we go down into the water, it's like going, the old life going down into the grave and then coming up a new creation, a new life. And baptism is the way we just draw a line under the old life and begin our new life with God. Um, recently in our uh, flat, Jill and I, we've been trying to do a spring clean. Um, and it's amazing that when um, you're just going through life, the amount of clutter that you, you pick up and how much things room, how much room things it's absolutely amazing. And with having children, we've only got one, but I imagine with having multiple children, that clutter triples, quadruples to the power of 10. I don't know. But for us, it definitely, like, like there's just so much more stuff that we never knew we needed. And half of it we don't need, but there you go. Um, but every time we've got rid of something recently, it's like been a celebration moment. We've just been like, yes, we've got so much more room. We had two high chairs. We got gifted one. We bought one. We managed to get rid of one. And it was like, Darling, we need to pop open the Prosecco or something. There's like so much room in our kitchen. It's been there for six months and now it's gone. We're like, you know, doing windmills around, around the kitchen. Be like, look how much space we have. It's unbelievable. And the truth is you don't have to be a tidying expert to know that when you get rid of clutter, you get much more space. I mean, that is like solid goal today. When you get rid of something, you have more space, isn't it? Unbelievable. But the point is that in baptism, we get rid of the clutter of sin. And that not only gives us more space, but freedom from the old life. It's like that stuff that has been cluttering our lives just completely goes, completely goes away and is never coming back. In baptism, we draw that line. We have that fresh start, that line in the sand with Jesus. And... Um, in the New Testament, coming to faith in Jesus really was a death. It was the death of the old life, laying down those old lives, those old cultures, those old ways of thinking, and gaining a new life in Christ. In Galatians 2, it says, Crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm no longer my own, but Jesus lives in me. That's the new life that we live. And if I'm honest, I used to believe when I was uh, 18 or 19 or 20, I can't remember exactly when, probably 20 actually, that I could live however I wanted. And then I decided, I, I grew up in church and I thought, I'll live however I want. And then when I realize I'm getting to the end of my life, that is when I'll make things right with God. That is when I'll decide that actually I can live for you now, God. And when I was 19 years old, Jesus got a hold of my life in a radically transforming way. And he said, that's not how you live. You can't live 
this half and half life of going to church on a Sunday and then not living that out. You need to live fully for me. You need to be all in. And I knew at that moment that that was me needing to be baptized. So when I was baptized, all the things that I'd done before, all the things where I'd been going out, where I'd been drinking, where I'd not been following him, I knew that that was the end of that. That was the end of the old life. And I needed to live this new life for Jesus. And maybe for some of us thinking, we maybe need to think about that of like, oh, am I, am I living the way that Jesus is asking me to live? So baptism means a bath, it means a burial. It's also a badge of belonging. Baptism is the mark of membership of the people of God. In the Old Testament, the mark of membership for men was circumcision. And you'll be pleased to hear, gentlemen, we don't do that anymore. Breathe, breathe. But instead, we baptize as a visible and public sign that we belong to God. It's a sign we belong to God and a sign that we belong to the church. And um, um, for many of you that know, know us, you'll know that uh, we have our wonderful baby boy, Levi, who just turned one yesterday. I can't believe he's actually one now. And um, we've been loving the development of seeing him grow and what that means. And the first stage is that he has that utter dependence on you. You could put him down on a bed and then he would uh, just stay in the same place. You could leave and he would still be there. Or the other moment I loved, I, I didn't love it at the time, but now I long for it, was when he would have a nap on your, on your tummy and then he would just like put his little head just under your chin, just snuggle in. And at the time I was like, oh, I can't actually breathe because he's on my windpipe. But like after two months where he then decided I'm not going to do that, I was like, oh, I miss those times, those close moments where he doesn't. And now he's like, no, independent, independent child at three months old. Anyway, and now he's at the stage where he's he's wanting to walk, but only really if you hold his hand. So like there's still that dependence where he's, you know, you've got your finger there and he's like walking along. And then maybe we know that the stage is coming where he'll want to hold our hand so we can do the swings. We can do one, two, three, swing and do that. And that'll be great fun. But I am fully aware that the time is coming in my life when my son will walk about five meters behind me, trudging along, not wanting to be seen with me because I am so embarrassing. So embarrassing. I mean, Jill sometimes does that with me anyway because I'm so embarrassing. But, you know, one step at a time. One step at a time. In baptism, we say the church isn't perfect. But these are my people. This is my family. I belong here. In Colossians 3, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you were baptized into Christ. Baptism is that badge of belonging to the church and a declaration that I belong to God. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were bought at a price. So that is what baptism means. It's a bath. It's a burial. It's a badge of belonging. But why, why should we get baptized? That sounds um, so odd in this type of culture. Why should we do it? A few reasons. One is that it's normal for Christians. So in the New Testament, whenever people uh, came to know Jesus, whenever they encountered the good news of God, they repented and been baptized. In that passage we read, it said in Acts, 3,000 people in one day came to faith, and all of them were baptized. We see through the story of the early church in Acts that Lydia, who was selling purple cloth, uh, the Philippian jailer, Crispus, the synagogue leader, Simon the sorcerer, all of them, when they came to know Jesus, they were baptized. You're hard-pressed to find anyone coming to faith in the Bible that wasn't baptized. 
one of the one of the main ones that wouldn't be would have been the thief uh, who was crucified next to Jesus. And I would say he probably had a pretty legitimate excuse that he didn't get baptized um, when he was hanging on the cross. The writers of letters in the New Testament just assumed everyone were would be getting baptized or would have been baptized. They said things like, we've all been baptized into Christ. It was just a common thing for Christians for them to happen. And the reason was, was because Jesus commanded it. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we baptize one another because Jesus told us to. Peter was able to say to the crowd, be baptized, every one of you. Baptism was that symbol of obedience. That obedience to being a Christian, obedience to Jesus. And thirdly, it's a powerful witness. It's a very odd thing to do, as we've said. And in this day and age, uh, dignity and our self-respect in this world are really important to us. So why would anyone in their right minds get into a big bath with all their clothes on and allow me to dunk them and then hopefully bring them back up? But until that point happens, you still don't know, do you? You're still unsure. Like, will he bring them back up? It's considered bullying, isn't it, at school? But why would we, why would we do that? Well, the reason why is because for us in our hearts, we're saying, Jesus is more important to me than my dignity. And when we say that, that's an incredibly powerful witness. What better opportunity do we have to invite all our friends, our family, our neighbors to church to demonstrate the importance, the central importance of Jesus in our lives? And I know many people have been on journeys to faith through coming to a baptism service. What a powerful witness it is. So we get baptized because it's normal for Christians, because Jesus commanded it, and it's a powerful witness. I just want to finish this talk with some FAQs, or for those of us who don't know abbreviation, frequently asked questions of, about baptism. So people sometimes ask, I was christened as an infant, does that count? And, and the truth is, that's a tough question. There are a number of friends I know who've grown up in Christian homes, who'd have grown up in England, and they would have been uh, christened, they would have been confirmed when they were younger, and they sincerely believe that they've been obedient to God, they've been obedient to, Lord, to the Lord. And yet I know others, dear friends, who have been christened, confirmed, and then studied the scriptures and knew that they needed to be baptized. So the answer is that we believe that the baptism teaches baptism. Number five, is that us? Number five, good. <laughs> baptism is for people who have made a personal decision to follow Jesus and by dunking the whole body. That's what we believe. But if in your own heart, before God, you have peace with whatever form of baptism you've experienced, then it's a matter of conscience for you. So I would encourage you, if you're in that situation, to read the Bible, read the scriptures, search the heart of God, speak to him, and see where you end up. And if you're also journeying that and would love, we would love to walk that journey with you. We'd love to chat about that and see where we end up with that. That question, it might be you think, is it too late? Is it too late? I've been a Christian for decades. It's never too late. It is never too late. And ideally, if we think about it, ideally, when a body dies, you bury it as soon as you can, don't you? As soon as you're sure it's dead, you bury the body. But, sorry, 
I know what you're laughing at now. Yeah, as, as, as soon as you're sure, make sure you're sure, and then bury the body. Don't don't bury before you're sure. Um, but there's sometimes in times of war, isn't there, where a body lies unburied for a time, where you see where you would see bodies lying unburied. But when you come across an unburied body, the right thing to do is to bury the body, isn't it? To complete the process of death. And that's the same with baptism. It's never too late. It's never too late. And the final question that most people usually ask is, do I have to share my story at the front? And the answer is yes. Yeah, we're going to pray. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. We're not, we're, lots of people are nervous, but we do our best to make that easy. Help you write your thoughts down. Um, prepare for the moment. And we can maybe ask you some questions on the stage at the time if that's easier. Sometimes, occasionally, we record um, the testimonies beforehand if people are really uncomfortable. But really, you want to share from the front because it's a powerful witness and it's the most uh, amazing opportunity to share. And I remember on my wedding day, the groom's speech, I was nervous. And then I said those immortal words at a wedding. I said, on behalf of my wife and I, and everyone, what did they do? They cheer, don't they? You can cheer now, yeah. On behalf of my wife and I, there you go. Yeah, I mean, it was probably a little bit more enthusiastic than that, but yeah. Um, but everyone cheered. And then as soon as that happened, I was like, man, this is like the easiest gig of my life. I can crack jokes. Some of them weren't even funny and people were laughing. I mean, you might find that on a Sunday morning, but I was like, brilliant. I'm, la- I'm ch- cracking these jokes. Everyone's finding it hilarious. And that's like the easiest gig that you're ever going to have. The second easiest one, I would say, is ba- ba- on your baptism day. When you share, there are people here, they are for you, they are with you, they're going to cheer you, they're going to pray for you. So actually, it's not as bad as it looks, and it is one of the most amazing opportunities to share of what Jesus has done in your life. So if you would like to be baptized, if you, uh, this is your church, you're certain you've put your faith in Jesus, and you haven't been baptized before, do let us know. And if you are wanting to um, be baptized, what do you do next? Speak to your site pastor. Speak to myself or Joe. We have a sign-up online, but we can chat to you as well. We'd love to baptize many people who call Catholic Veneer Church Stonehaven their home on Easter Sunday. Why don't we stand?